0: There is something that you need to know about me that I've never said in this situation before. My favorite ice cream is butter pecan. Thank you for coming. That's all I have to say today. (laughs) No, it is. My favorite ice cream is, is butter pecan. If it's on the menu... Not only do I shun all the other flavors, I don't even look at them. I love butter pecan ice cream. And I want it plain. I want it pure like God made it. I don't want syrup on it. I don't want sprinkles on it. I don't want you to add extra nuts. I want it pure and unadulterated. Yes, butter pecan is the flavor of ice cream for me. Now... We all have our favorites. We do. And and there's nothing wrong with that to a point. Uh, But something we need to remember is that it is not the natural inclination of human beings, even Christians, to be impartial. And it's okay in some instances, you know, as it relates to a certain flavor of ice cream. Everybody has their flavor of ice cream that they, they like. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Some people are partial to a particular color. You would choose a red car over a blue car. There's nothing wrong with that. Some of us are partial to different religious denominations. I'm partial to Baptists. Always have been. There's nothing wrong with that. So where is the point where it becomes a problem? Where is the point where being partial crosses the line? James addresses that in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say here's a good seat for you but say to the poor man you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts the line james says is with favoritism is when it comes to the way that we relate to other people because you see god is totally impartial And how he deals with others. God loves all of us equally. He offers all of us his salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that God approves of everything that we say. And everything that we do. And everything that we think. It doesn't mean that we never grieve God by the decisions that we make. Or the actions that we take. And it doesn't mean that everybody will accept the offer that he puts out there for us of salvation through Christ. It's simply that God doesn't show favoritism in the sense that he offers his love and his mercy and his grace equally to all, not just to some and not to others. He offers it equally to all. But you see, that's not our natural inclination. Now, it doesn't mean that we are never impartial Uh, It doesn't mean that in all our relationships we show partiality. But what it says is it's our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to be partial or to show favoritism. But as we look at what James writes here today, I think it's important for us to look at two things. I think it's important for us to look at what James is saying... But I also think it's important for us to look at what James is not saying. And I think it's really important that we all pay careful attention to what he is saying and what he is not saying today because it has implications for for us today, in our lives today. So if you drift in and out, uh, who knows what you're going to think I said by the time we're done here today. So we need to follow along. Here's what James is saying. And it's real simple. James is saying that it is wrong to rank people who show up at your church. It's wrong to rank them. It's wrong to play favorites because you think some people are better than others. James says that's wrong. Everyone should be welcome to come into a church and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be treated equally. That's what James is saying. But unfortunately, our natural inclination is to show favoritism, whether it's based on gender or ethnic background or income level or clothing or personal hygiene, ability, personality, reputation, political affiliation or religious affiliation. However, James says it's wrong to treat people differently based on their outward appearance. James says here, don't show favoritism. Literally, that means don't receive the face. Don't receive the face. In other words, don't judge people by what's on the outside. Receive the person. Don't receive the face just because of what the face looks like. I'll give you a personal example. I grew up in the South in the early 1960s. When I was growing up, our public schools were segregated. In our county courthouse, there were two water fountains. One water fountain had a sign on it that said, White only. The other water fountain simply had a sign on it that said, Colored. But in the church that I attended when I was a small child, in Sunday school class, They taught us a song. Maybe you know this song too, and if you do, you can sing along. He goes, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. It's a wonderful song and a wonderful message. But there was a contradiction. Not just what was happening outside the church, but what was also happening inside the church. Because, you see, we were a white-only church. There wasn't a sign on the door that said white-only. But we were. And it was known, and it was understood in that community. Apparently... Jesus loved all the children of the world regardless of their color. Only the colored ones could worship somewhere else. That was the message. And it was wrong. And it was wrong. And any time that we turn people away, or any time we welcome people for that matter, based solely on what they look like, James says it is wrong. And he says you are discriminating. Not only are you discriminating, he says you are becoming judges with evil thoughts. What he means by that is that you are being guided by evil motives... And your heart is not right if you welcome or turn away people based on the way they look. That's what James is saying. And it's strong language. Because he doesn't want any of us to think, well, if we just do this and if we show favoritism here, well, it's not nearly as bad as showing favoritism over here. No, James says that favoritism is favoritism. And any time you base any judgment on what's on the outside, James says it's wrong, regardless of what form it takes. He says it's wrong. It's wrong. And James goes on to say, look, he says, (laughs) outward appearances can be deceiving. Here's what he says beginning in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? James is not saying that rich people are are, are evil people just because they're rich. What James is saying here is, he says, look, think about what you're doing. He says, you're falling all over yourselves to welcome these people who are treating you lousy out in the community. But yet you're ignoring the people that God has chosen to hear the message. He says, that doesn't make any sense. He says, think about about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Now, up to this point, maybe James has just been kind of reasoning with them. But then when you get to verse 8, James brings in a very important biblical mandate that relates to our attitude. He says in verse 8, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Love your neighbor as yourself. James calls it the royal law. A better translation is it's the sovereign law. It is the sovereign law of God. And because it is the sovereign law of God, it is not up for opinion, and it is not up for interpretation. Because the law of love is supreme and binding. The law of love is supreme and binding. It is supreme and it is binding because it comes from God himself. Now James is not advocating some kind of emotional thing where where you just love yourself so much that that you're going to go out and love people just the same. That's, That's not what he's saying. He wants us to think about it. I mean, do you want people to be nice to you only because of what you might be able to do for them? Do you want people to dismiss you simply because of your age or because of your skin color? Do do you want people to draw conclusions about you based solely on the mistakes of your past without finding out who you really are? No. None of us want that. And that's what James is saying. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Think about how you would be treated or feel if you were treated like you treat others. It's the royal law. It's the sovereign law. James says, look beyond the surface issues and see the person for who they are. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law that applies in every situation you can imagine as it relates to human interaction. It's it's the law that applies to the way the rich treat the poor and the way the poor treat the rich. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is the law that applies to the way the clean treat the dirty and the dirty treat the clean. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the law that applies to the way those who are talented Treat those who are not talented. And the way those who are not talented, treat the talented. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's the law that applies to the way bosses treat employees and the way employees treat bosses. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's the law that applies to the way those of us who are red, yellow, black, and white treat others who are red yellow, black, and white. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. In World War II, a lot of people spilled their blood to defeat fascism and Nazism. but it wasn't completely eradicated because in our society today we still find hate from people who hold those same beliefs. World War II did not eradicate hate. The Emancipation Proclamation, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, the Civil Rights Movement, And consequently, the laws did not eradicate racism. Why? Because hate and racism, extremely ugly forms of favoritism, is sin. It's sin. And sin is a matter of the heart. And all the political posturing and all of the law changes and eradicating symbols is not going to change the heart. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. I'm just saying it's a matter of the heart. And James is saying to us, look, love your neighbor as yourself. You want to change all the problems in society? Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to heal relationships? Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to be the church that God's calling you to be? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's going to change things. And until that happens, nothing's going to change. Love your neighbor as yourself. And James goes on to say, look, it doesn't matter how good you think you are. You can say, well, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good things. I help in the community. I do these things that are for the good of others. And James says, well, look, that's great. But if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, none of that other stuff matters. Because, see, a lot of us think, well, as long as we just do more good than bad, then we're okay. But what James is saying is, look, It's not that all of the good things you do negate the command to love one another. It's the other way around. If you don't love one another, it negates all the other good things that you do in life. James makes an appeal. He says in verse 12, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful, mercy triumphs over judgment. The key point here is the idea that we must look beyond the immediate results of our actions. Look beyond the immediate results of our actions. If we show mercy, we will receive mercy. If we show forgiveness, we will receive forgiveness. If we are willing to look past the superficial things about other people, then others will do the same for us. And the person who shows mercy will triumph in the end. Today's message causes us to look inside ourselves, to look inside our hearts and and to ask ourselves, do we communicate to some people that they are more valuable than others? Or do we communicate to some people that they are less valuable than others? Uh, Do we show favoritism based on outward criteria? Do we work hard to welcome others, everyone with the love of Christ? And do we see people the way God sees them impartially and without showing favoritism because God sees all of us as valuable because of his love and his mercy and mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. At the beginning or near the beginning, I, I told you about when I was growing up about a particular church in a particular community in a particular culture but in in the midst of that culture there was a voice of courage Uh, and his name was Woodrow W. Richardson and he was the pastor of the church that I attended when I was a child and he knew that that all of God's children were loved and welcome regardless of color or anything else for that matter And he stood for what was right. And he preached what was right. And although he was not at that church long enough to see the right come, eventually the right finally happened. Because he knew that mercy triumphed over judgment. And I often think of him when I read this passage from James. That's what James is saying. So I hope you've hung with me this far as we've talked about what James is telling us. But if you drifted off, now's the time to come back because we need to talk about what James is not saying to us. And in this passage, sometimes it's easy for us to get it turned around and to make it say things that it does not say or to interpret it in a way that James never intended. Now, while we welcome any and all to come to this church and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, free of judgment because of their appearance, free of judgment because of their past, all are welcome to come here. All are welcome to come here. But James is not saying that the person who comes here, who hears the gospel of Christ, who allows Christ to become the Lord and the Savior of their life, who becomes a part of the fellowship of our church, James does not say they are then free to go and live any way they like, by whatever standards they like. We, who believe in Christ, believe that Christ takes us where we are. Where we are, regardless, all our faults and failures. But he takes us and his desire is to transform us and to make us new. It doesn't matter what we brought in here. Christ's desire is to change us and to make us into his image. When we come to Christ, we surrender our will to him. We surrender our thoughts to him. We surrender our reasoning to him. And once Christ comes into our hearts, we are no longer our own. The Bible tells us that we are not our own. It says that in 1 Corinthians 6. It says we are not our own. That we were bought with a high price. So we live. We live our lives. Those of us who are believers are expected to live our lives according not to our emotions and not to our desires and not to cultural trends, but we are to live our lives based on the truth that is revealed in Scripture. James is not saying you can become a Christian and then go off and live ever how you want by any set of rules you want. He does not say that. James is also not saying... That we should, as a church, always look the other way and never hold fellow believers accountable. James does not say that. It is not showing favoritism, nor is it being judgmental for believers to hold each other accountable to the truth that we claim to believe. It is also not unloving to hold believers accountable to the truth that we claim to believe. In fact, I would say to you it is unloving not to do that. That it is unloving to let a believer going, go on living in sin. Now, while we cannot hold non-believers accountable, we can't. We cannot hold non-believers accountable. But we can and should hold each other as believers accountable to what we say we believe. Accountable to the truth as God reveals it in Scripture. This past week has presented us with the perfect example of how to understand what James is saying and what James is not saying. On Friday, the Supreme Court decided that marriage in all 50 states can no longer be limited to just a man and a woman, that it's open to everyone. Some did a victory lap. Others predicted the end of civilization. Some claimed that it should be a decision that was left to the states. But as I have said before, neither the state government nor the Supreme Court has ever defined marriage for me anyway. Because my belief has not been changed by any court decision or by any state law. The belief that marriage is intended to be between a man and a woman is based on what I believe the Bible clearly teaches. And while I realize that everybody doesn't agree with that, I don't apologize for it. And I don't apologize for basing my marriage beliefs on what I believe to be the truth of Scripture. And I will continue to teach what I believe to be the truth, and the church will continue to teach the truth. But, but, at the same time, my understanding of Scripture also compels me to be a person of love and grace. So my prayer for myself is that going forward, that in all things, I would be someone who holds firmly to what I believe is biblical truth, but that I would do it in a manner that reflects the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And I pray for us as a church that moving forward, that in all things we would be a church that holds firmly to what is taught as truth in Scripture. But that we would do it in a manner that honors the love and the grace that has been shown to all of us in Jesus Christ. James has told us this morning... That if we think we can have truth and not grace, or that we can have grace and not truth, then we have failed miserably at both. Let's pray.